Welcome, everyone, to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. I am your host today, Dr. Derek Williams. I'm really excited for our episode today. We don't have outside guests on the show, really, other than clients. So I'm really excited. Today, we've got Dr. Paul Etchison joining us. How you doing, Paul? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. I, I know you got kind of like breaking the rules, getting outside of what you normally do, and I feel privileged and honored to be the first person to be allowed to do this. So hello, uh, TLP listeners. What's happening? Yeah. So one of the big things that you've had going on and and, and one of the reasons why I really wanted to do this interview is uh, your newest book that's come out. Tell me first off, like, what's the process of writing a book and your first one? Why did you decide to write a second one? T- tell me a little bit about that process. Cause I think a lot of us think about what it would be like to write a book, but you know, majority of us never do it. So I would, I would say, you know, if anyone's thinking about writing a book, the hardest part is just coming up with an idea in the outline. Maybe not. That's the hardest part, but it's not the most like intensive part. I just always want to write a book and and I always go into like seminars and I was a CE junkie and talking to people and I'm just like, man, I feel like I have like good ideas. I feel like I want to put this in a book. I feel like I could organize this in a really nice way. So uh, I decided to write a book and um, I'd say the hardest part of it is doing the edits. Like you have to reread your book like eight, nine times and, and edit it with the editor and at a certain point, like you just you just read it so many times, you're like, this sucks. I don't even want to release this. This is a horrible <laughs> book. And then and then you like get past it and you're like, okay, no, this is this is actually good. But you know, I I started um started a podcast after the having the book. So I guess like the book kind of gave me credibility for the podcast. And the reason I wrote the second book was because our practice, when I when I wrote the first one, you know, we were just we were five ops. We were just thinking about expanding into 11 ops, and I, I had a team of maybe, I don't know, 20 people or something like that. And by the second book, I had been interviewing guests for five years on my podcast, so learning a lot from them. And also, we, you know, we like doubled in size. We went to 11 ops. We had like 40-something team members. And I feel like it just came from a different – my second book comes from a different place of more experience. Not not to say that my first book's not good. I like my first book a lot. I'm really proud of it. But this second one's a little bit more has a, has a little bit more experience behind it, and it's more focused on getting yourself to you know three days, which I know like lifestyle practice. That's what you guys you know. I don't know if you guys preach three days, but it's about doing as many days as you want to do, and that's the focus of the book. Because one thing I learned through my process was that. When I add an associate, which was, I, was, I was terrified to add an associate. Nobody's going to do dentistry like me. I'm scared. I can't do it. They're not, my patients aren't going to like them. And finally, I just did it out of burnout. And I'm just like, I got to do something. I can't see all these people where our practice was just at capacity. And after adding an associate and going down to three days, I had an extra day and I had energy to actually like work on stuff like, hey, let's get this system on paper. Let's sit down with the hygienist and let's talk about verbiage. Let's go sit up at the front desk for a few hours and just watch the flow of things and how things are working. So you just don't have the energy to do that stuff when you're clinical all the time. And what I realized is that, man, like, look at how my practice is growing. Now, when I took an associate, I'm like, Dude, I don't care if I make half as much money this year with my associate. I just need time. I need some, I, I need some mental health because like, I'm just like, I feel like I'm seeing way too many people and I just hate this job. And when I added the associate, like my, what I took home every year kept going up, up. So then I added a second associate. Then we ended up expanding into 11 ops. And then I added a third associate. And then I added a periodontist and, and an endodontist. And then someone come, an oral surgeon doing wisdom teeth under IV. And it's just from the place of like running it like a business. And I think a lot of people don't realize, you know, and I always tell people this, is that one big aha moment I had during this whole process, and this is when I was still at, I think I was still at three days a week clinical, is I looked at how much money I made in, in, in the previous 12 months. And then I said, okay, look at my production as a dentist. If I paid myself 30% of my production, how much of what I took home last year was because I was a dentist and how much was just because I owned a larger practice? And it was like 15% of my take home was from being a dentist. And 85% of it was was just owner, just EBITDA. But I'm sitting there 90% of my time at the practice is me seeing patients. So that was like a huge aha where I'm like, dude, I'm more valuable training and, and working with my team and collaborating and trying to grow this thing and just kind of polish off these systems than I am seeing patients. And that was the transition that my practice had to go through and my team had to go through and and my patients had to accept it. Some, I mean, they weren't all upset, but a lot of them were really upset. They couldn't see me and stuff like that. But, you know, we got past it and 
now, um, you know, I'm like 14 years out of school, 10 years into my, almost 11 years into my practice, just at a really good spot. You know, I'm doing two, five hour days a week, um, taking off one or two weeks every month. And it's, um, it, it, it's just, it, it is, I like where I'm at right now. And I feel like I found this like Zen level of work-life balance that I've been kind of searching for for a long time, but just always couldn't find it. And then I feel like I'm finally there. So I've, I finally arrived at it. But um, yeah, I mean, he asked me about what, what drove me to do the second book. It was just what I realized about getting yourself out of the chair and what that can do for your practice and in your life. Yeah, really, really cool. Good synopsis of kind of the growth that you've gone through over time. I've read most of the book. I haven't finished it yet, but I've, I've really enjoyed it. One thing that I think was really interesting and, and that I really like, and I think you hear a lot from pretty successful people, is that you share the sentiment that anybody can do what, what you've done. But, you know, as I, as I listened to you and you're talking about how you realized that most of your time was allocated to clinical, but you found that you were more valuable as a, as a trainer, what percentage of people do you think that applies to? There's definitely a spectrum, right? So, so what would you what would you put out there to you know just kind of the average doc that maybe is not so inclined to be in management and training, where maybe that comes a little bit more naturally to you? Yeah, you know, and I see this sometimes with my associates too. Is that um, I'll have an associate come and have an issue with one of their assistants, and then they'll come and tell the assistant lead, and then the assistant lead tells me, and me and my assistant lead are like, "Why didn't you just?" tell them about that, train them right on the spot when this happened. Oh, I don't want to go there. You know, so it, there's a comfort level with it. And I think one thing that I've always been blessed with is I've always been comfortable having those conversations. I mean, I was, I was of the mindset when I opened my practice that here are my, here's my girls and we're, we're going to work together and we're going to learn everything about each other and how we do things. And you know what, everything's going to be catered around me. And, and I learned a lot of lessons too, like leadership wise. I think, you know, communication comes sort of natural to me. I don't really consider myself an extrovert, but a lot of people feel like I am. I, I, I don't think I am, but, you know, communication does come somewhat natural. And I was always just kind of training and training and just like, let's just do this the best way. Let's find the best way to do this. And because I started like that, it was very easy to do. Now, I, I can say that from having some associates and having experience with associates, I've had some associates that have come in and I've met with them once a week. And I sat down and I said, hey, what can I help you work with? What, what can we do? I want to help you get better. And then I've had other ones that I hired and I was just like, yeah, they'll be fine. I don't need to sit down with them once a week. And then things started you know, bothering me. And then like you go in and then you start doing this coaching. And then it's like, well, why, are you, why all of a sudden now? It's, it's almost like reactionary. you know. So I think a lot of people if they're saying like, okay, you know, I, I haven't done the best coaching and training with my team. I'd like to, I think anyone can do it. It's just, it, it takes like, I'd say, put yourself out there, say something to the whole team, say, this is my intention. This is what I intend to do. You know what? I'm not the best trainer guys. Sometimes I, I can't talk. And sometimes I, I'm not the best communicator, but I want us to be the best place ever. And, and we got to work together and come up with solutions for all the issues that we're having. And we'll just work together. We'll get through it. And I, I, anything I can help you guys with, I will. Anything you help me with, you know, you can, sometimes you can apologize for being not the best leader. But I, I do think anyone's capable of it. What I see, and I'll say in a lot of my coaching clients um, and people that I've helped, is where they kind of get stuck is a lot of people, they get very defensive. They get very critical of their team when they make mistakes. And when when the team criticizes the the doctor, they get very defensive. And essentially what this is, is this, this causes this whole cycle of, you know what, I'm not going to admit mistakes and I'm not going to share when things go wrong. And I'm going to try to stay out of the way of, of making mistakes in front of the doctor because I get criticized and I feel bad about it. And I think that gets a lot of practices stuck. And, I, and, and I've noticed that with a lot of my coaching clients is that their leadership style is more of this fear intimidation thing rather than hey, we made a mistake. Who cares? You know, grace over guilt. I always say that at my practice, grace over guilt. You know, we just, we'll offer you grace. No one's going to feel guilty. I want to know about the issues because we got to talk about them and we got to come up with solutions so they don't happen again. I don't care that they happened. And I see a lot of practice owners kind of fall short on that. And also just a lot of practice owners, they want to be right. And, and these are things that I talk about in my book too, is they always want to be right. They want to, no, that's not what happened. You got to do this. No, no, that's not right. 
And I can't tell you how many just disagreements I've gotten with over my team where I've just kind of conceded and said, you know what? There's two perspectives to this. I see your perspective. You see my perspective. I'm sorry that I did whatever I did that made you feel that way. I will, I'll try to change my behavior in the future or we'll do it different. And, you know, I always picture this day when I hang it up and I retire and I leave and I'm going to say, go through this long list of all these things I apologize for where I really didn't feel like I had to apologize, you know, and just be like, you know what? I didn't mean it. But, but the thing was, is like, you just got to mend the relationship and you got to, but we're so stuck in saying, man, my perspective is the only perspective. I'm the owner. It's my, it's my decision. I get to choose. And um, we just shut people out. We turn people off and, and they don't want to follow the vision of the practice. They just want to kind of show up, clock in and do the work and leave. So if you want a type of practice that you you want to take time off and you want to grow and you want to work on it, I mean, you've got to have a team. And I think anything these past two years, everybody knows how important team is. I mean, there's practices that are so desperate for people, they'll hire anybody with a heartbeat. And sometimes those people with just a heartbeat aren't the greatest employees, but you just need them. And I think a lot of practices are tied down to employees that they want to let go right now because they're just not a lot of good people. But if you want to grow a practice, you got to keep take care of your people. And I'm not talking about monetarily that too, but you got to take care of them mentally and emotionally and, and listen and lead and, and address issues and talk about problems and make sure that everybody leaves happy. I think that's the biggest challenge. That's the hardest part about the practice. Everything else is just like, man, follow the steps, do this, do that. This is the system. You know, it's, it's pretty simple in that regard. I think the challenging part is the leadership and the communication. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. So if I was to summarize your answer, it really has to do with kind of making that initial decision that I am willing to have these types of conversations that maybe I would normally shy away from. Yeah, I mean, that, that, but also like one thing I've always been really intent on is just reading books and a lot of leadership and communication books, um, like John Maxwell stuff, Simon Sinek. It's just, I'm always interested in that. And it's, it's weird because you'll pick up a book and a certain part will jump out at you and you'll be like, oh my gosh, that happened not that long ago, that this kind of applies to it. And I almost feel like you just always got to be reading. You always got to be thinking and being introspective and, and thinking about, did I handle that the best? How could I have done that better? What really went wrong there? I mean, I don't, I don't think there's many situations that where I get in a disagreement with someone in my practice where we don't both leave feeling better. You know, like we, we we're, it's like that whole thing with your spouse, never go to bed angry, like n- never clock out angry and go home. Um, not that that doesn't ever happen, but it's, I always want to sort things out and I can tell when something's going on and someone's not feeling it. And I just like to call them out and say, Hey, like, I just noticed like, what's up with your energy later? Is everything going on? Is anything going on? Is everything good? Like, tell me what's happening. Tell me how you're feeling. It's just having those conversations, like not shying away from that. And the relationships are big, man. It's some people don't want to have relationships with their team members because they feel like they got to maintain this like line of, you know, boss versus employee. But, you know, without the relationship of knowing what's going on in your team's lives, it's really hard to coach and train because you're coming from a different point. You're not, it's like not, you're not a friend. You're, you're a superior all of a sudden. It's just everything. It's interpersonal relations. That's, that's the part I think we, we really dropped the ball on as dentists is we don't think it's important. We're, we're just, we got to do the dentistry. I just want to show up and do the dentistry. I don't want to deal with this, this BS. So like, yeah, to answer your question, I think everybody can do it. I think some people have challenged harder part with that part. And, um, from my experience of having employees, sometimes people just are who they are and and I can't change them and I can't train them and we, we just let them go. So I could see how some dentists might be like, I just don't have it in me. I don't know. So right. yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> one, of, one of my favorite explanations and ideas of leadership that resonated more with me a lot is Jim Collins in Good to Great when he talks about this level five leadership that is a a good blend of strong will and humility. And that's a a big part of what I hear when you're discussing uh, all of these things that you have a vision of what you want to accomplish, but you're also listening to your team and and you're not just pretending to listen. Like you're actually listening to their ideas, thinking of, you know, the, the solutions or obstacles that they're coming up with and you're working through it together as a team. And you have to let go of control sometimes. I mean, there's a, 
I'll tell you, like right now, the way we verify insurance in my practice, it is not my favorite system, but I didn't create it and I'm not the one that has to do it. So I just kind of say, okay, not, that's not how I would do it. But if you guys think it's working, okay, cool. And um, sometimes I feel like I have a better idea, but I just have to bite my tongue and be like, you know what? This is a team practice. It's It's everybody's. It's not just the Paul show. Dude, that's a perfect example. There's there's so many times when I feel like I'm working with a doc and and they've already got a system that's that's working and the employees, you know, have have ma- found a way to make it work and you know, sometimes they just want to analyze and get deep and and change things, which sometimes can be beneficial, but a lot of times there's lower hanging fruit in other places and if things are going well, let it be and focus in other areas. Well, and, and yeah, one of the biggest things that's going to make a system not be successful is not buy-in from the team. And what better way to lose buy-in is to change something that's working for them that they created and give them what you created. And, and I see it at the front desk all the time because I think it's like the part of the office that I, I know the least about. So it's I, I don't stick my head in there. I just say, okay, girls, whatever you, whatever you guys think. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Your first chapter in the book has a lot to do with, you know, talking about mediocrity. And, you know, you kind of talk about the doom and gloom that's out there. My question for you is, why do you think that there's a lot of docs that buy into the gloom and doom so much? Yeah, good question, because there's there sure is a lot of it right now, especially lately with, you know, people graduating with a lot of debt and stuff like that. And the the landscape of dentistry is changing and, you know, we're all moving to DSOs and corporate's coming in and they're ruining everything and the insurance stuff isn't. They're not raising their reimbursements. And and now more than ever, man, labor is costly. I mean, my labor went from like 23% to like 28% this last year. And, you know, I don't like it there, but that's what it takes to keep people in my area. And I, I can't lose my people. But I think it's it's our expectations of what a dentist is. You know, we're supposed to come out, make a lot of money, do all this, that. But you've got to do certain things. I mean, it's just like the the dental degree was your ticket to the show. You've got to change the way you do things. And I think a lot of us aren't really looking at how to do things better. I mean, now, so people listening to podcasts, we are a different breed of people. And, and I think if you've been to CE events or if you've been to like, you know, podcast related events, you notice that about everyone you talk to there yeah. versus going to like a clinical CE where somebody may not listen to any podcast. So like we're, we're the good guys, but I think, what are we like, maybe like half a percent of the total dentists in the US? I have no idea. But, you know, like we're listening to ideas. We're, we're thinking about ways to do things better. We're trying to be the best at what we do. And I think a lot of the other dentists that are sitting there on Facebook kind of complaining, they're not doing that. I mean, that, that's as far as they get is the, the, a forum on Facebook. And it's just, it's, it's easy. It's easy to put blame on other things than just put it on ourselves. It may, maybe it's your office. Maybe it's your area. You know what? It's probably you. It's, it's, it's probably you. I, I don't know who you are if you're listening, but it's probably you. That's probably the problem. And every time I've ran into problems in my practice, it has always been me. Even though in the moment it doesn't feel like it's me, it feels like it's them and my, my team and someone's cranky and always emotional and do this. It's me. It was always me. And so I think we've got to get more focused on what can I do? What's in my control? And I think a lot of stuff is in, in our control. You just got to redefine a practice. I mean, do it with the coaching clients. I mean, you coach as well. So you see how it is. It's it's There's best practices to do in dentistry and dental business. And if we're not seeking out those ideas and trying to implement them and trying to look at systems and evaluate how they're working and, and pivot, oh my gosh, pivot. So everyone, there's so many dentists that just don't realize you can pivot, dude. Like, oh, I got to get the system perfect before we implement it. No, just do something. Do something and then reevaluate and pivot. You can go back. And that's what... I, I go through this with the uh, – because most of the clients that reach out to me, they always want to get down to like three days and they're usually bringing out associates. It's like, uh, when should I do it? How am I going to schedule it? I'm like, dude, just do it. Well, I got to get this ready. It's like, dude, it, it, I don't know if I want to do it. If, if you don't want to do it, you just go backwards. You just reverse it. You know, It's like nothing's final. So I think people just need to kind of spend more time trying to you know emulate, get some mentors, learn, take some courses on practice management, read some books. Not all dental stuff, you know, I think the what's helped me more than anything else has just been the communication stuff, but just try to be better. And I think a lot of people just don't want to put in the work. You know, it's like, uh, I watched the Chris Rock special. Did you watch that? Yeah. Yeah. How we talked about like, you know, people want to get likes, 
best way is to, to show your behind. And I can't remember what the second way is the best way, but he's like, the third way is to get really good at something like Serena Williams. He was like, they ain't nobody want to do that because it takes too much damn work. You know, so it's like they want the easy way. Right. So everybody wants the easy way. It's like Zig Ziglar says, there's no, uh, what does he say? There's no escalator to, there's no elevator to success. You got to take the stairs, you know, you got to go little by little. Yeah. So you touched on one thing just uh, recently that you talked about in the book too. You talk about the idea of uh, locus of control. So I want you to kind of explain that idea to the listeners. And if you can, I would love to hear, when did you really start to realize that in your life to focus on what's inside of your control? When did you realize that in your life and how did it make an impact? Yeah, great question. Yeah. So, I mean, locus of control is, there's two different locuses of control. This is a psychological concept that says there's either an internal locus of control and that's somebody who means the, the locus of control of my life is is internal. It is me. I control my destiny. I control my results. I control everything in my life. I It is in my control. And when it's in your control, you can do something about it. You can change everything. You can change your life. Somebody with an external locus of control says, ah, it's my patients. It's my team. It's insurance. It's it's corporate. Uh, it's my wife. It's It's this. It's that. It's not. They're putting blame on everything else. And the thing is, is you can't control your patients. You can't control your team all the time. You can't control uh, insurance or corporate or all this stuff. So these are the people that just kind of stop. It's the victim. They say, well, I can't control it. So there's nothing really I can do about it. So my best solution is just to accept it. And so you asked when when I had this kind of revelation, it was, it was from reading a book, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. But it was probably maybe maybe like a year and a half into my practice. And I had the kind of attitude that like, dude, it's my practice. Like I say, what I, what I say goes. And you'll find out very fast that that leadership style doesn't do very well. And I was just having some issues with my team. And I just kind of looked at it and I read this book and I said, man, you know what? This is my fault. This isn't because the person at the front desk is, is not as is lousy on the phone. I, I I hired her. I put her there. I didn't train her. I didn't tell her how I wanted to answer the phone. Maybe she's better somewhere else, you know? And then I started, just had this whole mindset shift and it, it works really well at work. You know, when, when you're having issues with your team and stuff and you start looking at it through the lens of this is my fault and I can control it and I need to do something about it and it's empowering, but it, it works in every avenue of your life with your spouse, with your kids, just everything, just taking ownership. That's what Jocko Willing calls it in his book, Extreme Ownership taking extreme ownership over everything that happens at that practice. Because once you look at it through that internal locus of control, now you can do something about it. Whereas with the external, you just kind of throw your hands up and be like, yeah, can't control it. Not my problem. So um, yeah, that, that's a big part of leadership. And, and I would hope every leader you know, internalizes that principle because that's huge. Can you quickly give an example? Like, I mean you did a really good job explaining how it applies to your practice and work life and stuff. Mm -hmm. But have you seen that carry over to your personal life as well? Yeah, you know, absolutely. I'll, I'll give an example and I'm just going to be really transparent and um, yeah, I'm going to share something that I, I, I'm just gonna share this publicly. Who cares? So I'll tell you, my wife has a business and the way she runs her business, it, it's a, it's a self-empowerment for girls eight to 13. The way she runs her business is not always the way I would run my business, you know, and sometimes she'll ask me questions and she'll say, what about this? What do you think about this? And, and I just feel like sometimes it's like when I was early in my practice life where I was the answer guy and at a certain point, I'm like, well, what do you think? Like, you need to make some decisions. Like, you need to like figure this out. Like, I can't run your business for you. Like, you have to run your own business. Like, what do you think? And she's like, well, I just want to know what you think. Like, like, I want you to help me. And we would always get in this like argument over it. And it would always just kind of leave this sour taste and like it would take like a day or two to get over it. And it just became this like recurring theme where she started to get like almost scared to even ask me a question about stuff. I mean, because like my business is a very long, a long way down the line compared to hers. Hers is still kind of in its infancy. And so then I started looking at like, what is this doing to the quality of the relationship? You know, yeah, this is kind of driving us apart a little bit and it's becoming a sticky point in our marriage. And then I started kind of thinking about, well, what can I do to change it? Well, I could just give her what she wants and just answer all the questions for her. And I sat down and I kind of thought long and hard about that. And I said, you know what? I think this is probably some way 
on a deep psychological level of her connecting with me is that we're doing her business together and I'm helping her do something. So I started looking at it like that instead of like, okay, I need to teach this girl how to, you know, it's instead of like giving someone a fish, teach them how to fish for themselves. Yeah. And it was just amazing how that little tweak just changed it. And if I would have stand there with the external locust, I would have said, well, dude, she's, she's just got too many damn questions. I can't do anything about that. I can't help that. I can't teach her how to run her business. Whereas I said, what can I do so that I can get the result I want, which is, you know, a, a healthy and happy marriage. And it was just, just help her. And, and, and we bond and we got closer through it. And it was so stinking easy, but it was something that took almost probably shit a year to learn for me to figure that out before it like got to a breaking point where I'm like, man, we got to change something. But yeah, it, it's, it's, you got to look at it like, what, what am I doing to cause this? Well, here's what I was doing. I was getting really kind of irritated when she would ask me questions. And I was showing that irritation by when I would, in the tone of my voice, when I would return that question to her to try to see what she thought. So whose fault is that? It's me. It's my reaction to the situation, and it's the way that I'm behaving based on how I'm feeling. So that's in my control. So change it. Yeah, yeah, that's great. It's it's interesting. I have had almost an identical experience with my wife, but with uh, health and fitness. A few years ago, I hired a, a fitness coach, and now I'm on a second one. But I've been working with him for over a year, and at you know, at one point, my wife was starting to see my results and she was like, you know, she starts asking me all these questions of what she should do and stuff like that. And we, we went through like the exact same process as what, of what you're talking about. And my, my solution was different, but I basically had to tell her, look, uh, you know, as much as I wanted to just tell her the exact answers and stuff, it's, I had to accept that this is her own journey. And helped her get set up with her own coach, let her ask her own questions, confide in someone and really grow for herself. And that, that is what brought us a lot of peace and brought us closer in our relationship. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I I should have hired her business coach. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They both would have worked, I guess. Yeah. I love that. I have a personal trainer too. And when I'm when I'm really into working out, I, I just always laugh at myself. I'll go to the store and I'll buy my healthy food. And I don't know if you do this as well, but sometimes I'm looking at other people's like carts and I'm just like, come on, what are you doing with all that soda? Get out of here. But then when I'm like not in it, man, I'm like the guy buying like just a cart full of chips and just junk food. And I, I'm guilty of that too. But I, I love right now I'm in it. So I'm in the, I'm in eating clean. I'm doing good. So. I, I get to go to the grocery store and, and be judgmental, which I shouldn't, but I do. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like, I mean, we could talk about that forever. <laughs> mm-hmm. Another area that I thought was really cool that you touched on that I have not heard a lot of people talk about, especially in dentistry, but you you talk about being present at whatever you're doing. And, and you talk about this idea that uh, essentially everybody talks about this work-life balance. And, you know, my, my wife was even asking me a few weeks ago, she was, she was saying, how do you do such a good job prioritizing? Like, because it seems like, you know, you make family the top priority. And I was, and I kind of was explaining to her that it just depends on where I am at the moment. I'm going to have different priorities at different times. And so you touch, you touch on that. When did you learn that? Did, did you struggle with being distant at, at certain places? And, and, and how did you really hone on to uh, having that ability? Well, I would say like a lot of our practice success in the early, we did a startup. We were always seeing like 80 new patients. Like right now we see about 140, 160 new patients each month still consistently. But, you know, we, we grew really fast. And I loved the startup, man. I loved everything about the business. I just wanted to be there every day just working on it. And I kind of realized that as I was, gosh, you're working on the practice again. Gosh, you're always doing work. You're always working, man. You, and because I'm, I'm seeing patients four days a week and I'm also uh, after work, I'm trying to do all the other stuff and I'm doing the payroll and all the other stuff that we do as new owners. I noticed that what really excelled or accelerated the practice forward was putting in the extra time, but also making sure when you're putting in that time that you're kind of all in. Like if I just, if I, if we had this perfect balance of life and work, 
I feel like nothing really good happens. And the example I give in the book is like when you take a vacation with your family and you shut off work for like seven days and you're just like, damn, dude, I love my family. I need to, we need to do more of these vacations. Like, because you were all in there. Like you were just, you're, you're, you're engaged. You're at, you're in a different geographic location. You're not working. Your team knows not to bother you. And, and you're just engaged with your family. And so why can't we do that every day when we're home with our families? Just be like, you know what? I'm going to be all in when I'm here. But then at the same time at work, you got to be all in there as well. And sometimes you got to put in some extra hours to, you know, if, if to get the practice you want, you got to put in extra work. You've got to create systems. You've got to delegate and train things away off your plate. And that takes time. But the thing is, is if you're trying to balance these things perfectly on a daily level, man, you're not going to get anything done. Like you got to get into that work. And, and I can tell you, like, if I'm really into something like that we're doing, we're creating this new system and I'm, I'm creating a training document or training video, I'm going to put like six to maybe 10 hours in a row right into that. And I'm going to do it right now when I'm, when I'm feeling it, when I'm in the zone and I don't want to be distracted. I don't want to just work on it. Hell, if I just do 30 minutes a day, it'll take me 20 days. No, that's, that's, that's bull, man. Get in there and get it done. But then, you know, sometimes you got to, you know, put work on hold for a little bit and get in there with the family and, and get that done and put in some quality time there. I just don't think I, I noticed on just in my own experience that that wasn't attainable and it was something I would beat myself up over like, man, I'm working too much. But then now I look back like I'm, you know, 10, 11 years into my practice. I'm working 10 hours a week, taking off tons of time. I'm with my family. I, I can do whatever I want. I can go into, I can work as many hours as I want to practice. I mean, dude, that took time. That took uh, energy. And you know, sometimes at the detriment of my family, you know, I don't think I was always in the best balance throughout my career, but, um, I, I think it's, it's a myth that you're ever going to be in perfect balance because we can't task switch and everyone knows like multitasking doesn't work. You got to get the brain like engaged in it and just really find that flow and just get something done. That's what I love. And, and, and I love, I had a, just last Wednesday, actually just, just two days ago, actually, I had a day where I didn't have any patients and I just went to practice for five hours and I talked to people. I talked to my front desk to hone in on we're having issues with some of our policies, people not doing them. So I talked to some people at my front desk. I talked with my, my, my assistant lead and my clinical lead and it was a great day. But in between those conversations, I had a few people pop in my office that just wanted to kind of shoot the shit a little bit. And I had to be like, okay, you know what? I, I do want to have this conversation with you, but I, there's a lot of things that I want to get done today. So I, I just, you know, I, is there anything that you need in particular? No, I just want to come say hi. Okay, cool. And because I'm in the zone, I'm doing, I'm getting stuff done and I've got to get those distractions away from me. You got to hold, you got to focus on what you're there to do. And um, yeah, I mean, that's just a recent example of just how you can get distracted. I don't want to get distracted. I want to focus on what I'm doing, whether it be work or at home. When I'm at home, I'm focusing on my family. And that takes putting that phone down and not scrolling through Reddit or, you know, Facebook or something. And, and, and I'm just like everybody. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm far from perfect. But I, I know what I need to do. I need to put down the damn phone and I need to engage with my family. So you come home and don't care how tired you are, you just do it. Yeah. A lot in uh, our podcasts and different content, we talk about front-loading the process. This idea that we spend extra time at the beginning to free ourselves up in the future. And in your book, you call this acceleratory work. And it sounds like that's a lot of what, uh, you know, you're, you're talking about here. Talk a little bit about that. And what do you think holds back most dentists from spending time doing this type of work? Uh, I'll tell you what holds us back is we're tired. <laughs> we just, we just had to put on a happy face and talk to, you know, 10 patients in hygiene and see another 10 on our doctor side. You know, it's like, it's it's exhausting. I mean, it's it's emotionally exhausting. It's emotionally, not just physically. I mean, it's, it's physically too, but it's emotionally exhausting being a dentist. And I mean, I remember coming out of school doing five days of dentistry and I said, no, this is not for me. I knew it right away that this is way too much. I'm just, this, this is killing me. Four days felt like a lot. So I think a lot of us dentists were taken off Friday and we work Monday through Thursday. And then it's, let's, let's, let's work on the business on Friday. Cool. You wake up Friday, you're like, I ain't going in. I don't feel like doing it. I worked really hard this week, you know? I'm not doing that. So we, we just don't do it because it takes that extra time. It takes getting up early or staying up late or or staying at the office a little longer. But I mean, it's this acceleratory work, what I refer, refer to in my book, is like a big part of it's like the delegation is 
is like, dude, I'm not doing the 401k reconciliation. I'm not reconciling credit card statements. I'm not scanning invoices. I'm not doing the payroll. I'm not even interviewing or hiring people anymore. And, and I think if you get really focused on delegating things away to your team, it, it, like if you got like systematic about it, said, I'm going to get rid of three things a month, man, you could probably get most things off your plate within a year or two. And I mean, this was a, always been my process is to try to delegate things away. And in the past two years, I've kind of completely almost delegated away the leadership and all of the dealing with the interpersonal issues that the team members will have with each other. So I'm not doing a whole lot to practice right now. And I'm trusting in my leads that they're doing it and they're doing a great job. But it took some extra work. It took some like, hey, let's talk about how I want you to handle these things. Let's talk about my expectations for what you're going to do. And also like, hey, let's create a video or a document or something that we can train other people on to do what we do. Because I mean, a great example was the 401k reconciliation. I wanted to train my office manager to do this for like two years. And I just always did it because it only took me like 10 minutes every two weeks. I had to do it. It just took 10 minutes every two weeks. And it would take me, you know, take me 15, 20 minutes to show her how to do it. And I'd just be like, okay, I'm just doing it this time. Next time I'll show her. Next time I'll show her. And then one time I just said, you know what? I'm just going to record myself doing it on my computer and I'm going to talk in my microphone. And it's going to take me, you know, you know, 15, 20 minutes to make this video because I'm going to have to go a little bit slower. But dude, I did that. And I said, hey, can you watch this and take this over? She, she said, yeah. And, and I never did it again. So it's, it's like you just got to sit down and commit to like, let's teach somebody else how to do this. In every time in my practice, my career, that I've had a thing that I said, no, 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 nobody else can do this but me. I'm so good at this. Nobody else can do this. I have been proven wrong 100% of the time. My team can do almost, see, I said almost. I'm saying almost everything better than me. <laughs> see, I'm almost like scared to even say like do everything. They have done everything better than me. The practice has never run better <laughs> than, than with them in, at the helm versus me. And uh, yeah, it's, it's it, people can do things. You can, you got to trust your team. You got to find the right people, of course. But dude, people have brains and they want to use them. And if you just let them and you tell them you believe in them and you give them the autonomy and you just sit back and bite your tongue when you see the, the train come off the rails a little bit and, you know, you learn from it, but you don't cause like, you don't criticize, man, they, they will just do everything for you. And I'm so thankful for my team. They're, they're such a great group. And um yeah, I, I, it's, it's, it's the, the foundation of how good my life has been these past few years is because of my team. So, um, but you gotta get, you gotta get out there and you gotta do the training. You gotta tell them and you gotta set the expectations and you gotta be there to hold people accountable. So uh, that's that extra time you gotta put in. And it's, that's, that's hard to do when you're doing four days of clinical. So that's why I think it's really good to get yourself down. Even you get down to three, it'll give you an extra day. And um, I like to tell people, you get down to that three day, man, that fourth day it's admin and you're just in there training, you're doing this, you're in there every fourth day. Dude, you don't got to be in there every fourth day. You could go in there once, maybe twice a month and just show up for like two, three hours and get all the stuff done you need to get. I mean, it's it's like you want to tell, like, like I don't go golfing or I don't like just take the day off or I don't just sleep into 11 every now and then. Yeah, I, I don't always show up on my admin day and I'd say, I'd say more often than not, I didn't show up, but I showed up enough to do the things that needed to get done. So that's uh, what, and you'll have the energy to do it when you only see patients three days a week. Yeah. And I think it can be a little bit of a chicken and the egg scenario sometimes where sometimes we got to put the acceleratory work in on the front end and just, uh, you know, grin and bear it to, to allow us to get to three days. And sometimes, you know, it may be a little bit of the opposite too, where you just got it, like you were saying at the beginning, you just got to do it. You just got to buckle down, make the decision and do it. And then that's going to lead to some of the results that you're looking, looking for. Absolutely. Yeah. You just got to commit to it. And what do I want with my life? What do I want with my practice? Well, I, I want to go down to three days. I want more time off. I want to take some more time off. What's that going to take? You know, it's, we always look at these other people these successful people and, and we, we don't ask ourselves, what kind of things does that person do? Like, like my wife is like in love with this guy, Chris Powell, and he's just like a fitness dude. He's on Instagram and he used to have a show on ABC. I think he's really cool too, but, and he's just, he's just ripped. And I just say, man, I want to be ripped like Chris Powell. Well, what does Chris Powell do to get that ripped? Well, he probably eats chicken all day. He probably makes sure he gets enough sleep. He probably doesn't drink two nights a week. And he probably works it works out, you know, like crazy. So how, I got to do that if I want that body. But I don't want to do that. 
So I'm going to forget about getting that bike because it ain't going to happen, you know? So if you want, if you want that practice, what kind of things is that person doing to get that type of practice? And don't tell me you can't do it because you can. It's, it's not, it's just the, it's just the doing. It's, it's not that hard to do these little steps, but it's, it's just as easy to not do them. It's just as easy to sit home or watch another show and do something else. And so you got to like get really clear on what you want. And I, I think anyone can do it. It's just, you got to be that clarity and that intention and just sometimes you just got to, I don't want to do this, but I'm doing it anyway. And you just force yourself. So, Yeah. One thing I want to, I want to point out, I think I can imagine a lot of people listening to you and thinking, man, Paul loves his team. He's just got this perfect team in place. He spent all these years getting, you know, getting just the right person, you know, and what I want to point out, I mean, all the, all the people that you've had from the very beginning are pretty much there for the most part. Yeah. We, we still have, we did really well. <laughs> we went like nine years without anybody. This last year has been rough, man. We, we've lost probably 15, 20 people this last year. And maybe like seven or eight of them to like, hey, I, one moved, uh, you know, had babies. And I'm just going to stay home with my, my kid now. But we've lost some people that have taken, you know, two, $3 raises. And we've had to let go of some people too. And it's it's been a trip. But yeah, I still have... I still have my original two assistants, the same assistant I had for my first procedure dental, right out of dental school. So the thir- four, 13, or 13, 14 years, me and Lauren. And then my other one, Jacqueline, our year anniversary is tomorrow, is tomorrow. So that'll be our, or that'll be our 10 year anniversary. I'm sorry. That'll be our 10 year anniversary. And um, still have both of my original hygienists. So I have a long-term team. I still have all of the, we call the OGs. But the the more recent people, we've we've had some turnover, and I don't like seeing that. I like to keep everybody happy, and I don't like people going for better opportunities. But when I wrote that book, yeah, I had I had a little bit different uh, different story to tell than what's actually accurate today in time. Yeah, yeah, because that that book was written uh, during the pandemic shutdown. That's when I wrote it. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So I guess the point that I wanted to make is that I think a lot of people listening think that you have a great team because you just did a really good job hiring and filtering out bad people. But I think the reality comes down to what you're talking about as far as trusting your employees, having relationships with them, delegating to them, allowing, giving them some leeway to, to make decisions that they have kind of some autonomy in the process that they can take ownership over. There's a lot of like, all of that stuff is, is, as intangible, right? I mean, none of that has to do with compensation or anything, but that is what really does a lot as far as motivating your team, helping them feel valued and to stick around long-term, even when there may be other financial opportunities elsewhere. Yeah. And, and I would say, you know, everything you said, and then one other thing, and I'll just give this just because it's practical and the listeners can go in on Monday and do it is sitting down with a team member one-on-one and just having a really honest conversation about how much they like working here. You know, just being like, hey, do you still like working here? Do you still enjoy your job? And they're always going to say yes because they've been trained to not be honest with you. You got to dig deeper to start getting some honesty. But, you know, a nice question to ask is, hey, what frustrates you the most here? You know, what, 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 do you, what, kind of, what thing here is, is frustrating you? And they're like, oh, you know what? Like, I don't, it kind of bothers me when the front desk doesn't, put the insurance incorrectly. And then you're just like, okay, all right. Like what else? Like you start going and, and sometimes it's something you want to get defensive about. And you just, I've said, you got to bite the tongue because if you get defensive, you're shutting down that line of communication. It's not, yeah, happening. they're not going to talk anymore. After yeah. That. So you just got to sit there and be like, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What did I say? Okay. I was a jerk. Okay, cool. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, so, um, but you know, you ask these questions because if you sit there, let's think about it. They like, they like uh, that's another thing. They like the people that they work with because you're setting up functions and you're getting people together. That's something that was super critical. We didn't get to do it during the shutdown and after COVID came. And I saw the effects on the teamwork because we weren't getting together and doing events because I was so worried somebody would post what we were doing on Facebook and then all the patients would be like, my God, look at this office. They don't even care about the protocols. So um, that's one thing. But the, the other thing is if you're paying them decent, they're, they like the people around. People are going to quit because you're a jerk and you make them feel bad, or they're constantly frustrated with something that keeps happening and nothing's changing about it. And they know where the weak spots are in the practice because they're on the front lines. All you got to do is ask them. 
And I've, I've had, I've had employees tell me, you know what, I'm thinking about like looking for somewhere else. I'm like, Oh my gosh, tell me why. Cause this keeps happening. And, and we've always, when I've had those conversations with people, they've never left because we addressed what was right. bugging them. And that's all they just want to feel heard that, Oh man, yeah. someone heard me and they're doing something about it. Cause think about the crappy jobs you've had. You'll sit there and be like, why do they, why do we do it like this? This doesn't make any sense. You go tell your manager, like, nope, this is how we're doing it. And you're, okay, well, there's nothing we can do. We're just going to do it this dumb way for the rest of our lives. <laughs> and um, it, it's just listening and asking the questions. And I guarantee you there isn't a single person on your team that can say nothing frustrates them at the practice. But they will tell you that. But you got to keep asking them. Say, hey, I just want to hear, just be honest with me. I'm not going to be upset. Like, I need this information. And if you want to get really, really vulnerable as a leader, ask them, how can I be a better leader? How can I work on me? Because those answers, those are the ones that hurt. I ask those to my team, and sometimes I just don't want to hear it. I just don't want. I don't want to be hurt, you know, uh, because my team will tell me the truth. Like when, when in 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 the past few years for me, it's been, you know, it's just not like it used to be when you were here all the time. You know, when you were the only dentist, it was it was just things ran better, things but people felt better. There was a better energy in the practice, and it's not like that, but. The, the fact of the matter is, is I'm not going to be at that practice five days a week anymore like I used to. I'm just not going to do it. So what can we come up with? What's a solution we can come up with that's kind of meeting in the middle, the best case scenario? And and that's what we're always working on is just l- listening, asking questions, and addressing the issues and, and collaborating as a team to come up with solutions. That's a big part, too. That's great. Yeah, really, really good stuff. And you're right. That's That's super easy to implement, but almost almost never done. Yeah, it's because we have to talk to people. Nobody wants to talk to people anymore. You know, we just want to like text. Yeah, which is, uh, I mean, again, kind of goes against everything that we're talking about as far as developing a relationship and trust and everything that, and all of those intangibles. Well, I, I switched my doctor because I wanted to set up a, I wanted online scheduling. I'm like, I don't want to call somebody and have to talk to someone. That's weird. Now. <laughs> <laughs> so so like i said i think i'm an introvert everyone thinks i'm extroverted i don't think i am i don't like talking yeah 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 i hear you i hear you there well this was uh this was really great i'll uh i'll give you a second to share anything else that you want to from the book or anything else that you're interested in sharing but first i just want to share my perspective on the book i really enjoyed it i feel like a lot of a lot of dental books are very black and white straight laced and your book, it feels different to me. There's a, you open up, you share, you're pretty vulnerable about some things in there that you, you, you may not want people to know, but you've basically said, you know what, I just want to be real and, and let other people know my experiences. And I, I feel like there's just a lot of value in that. And that, um, the, the way that you, that you line things out as far as, Hey, here's your options. You know, if you're in this type of situation, you can pivot this way is really pretty impressive. And I, I don't, I, I don't know that I've really seen that done very much. Yeah. Thanks, man. I mean, yeah, I'm, a, I'm an open book and my wife tells me I'm guilty of oversharing a lot. I mean, she, I don't think she'd be happy if she knew I told that story about, about her marriage, but she's not going to listen to this. That's what that's the great part, you know? <laughs> right. But, right. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always an open book, man. It's, it's, so one of those things is, uh, and I even have my coaching clients, they say, I can't, I'll tell them about things going on in my practice. I can't believe that's happening in your practice. You're having issues like this, you know, 10, 11 years into it. It's always happening, man. There's no utopia where there's, you know, you have a practice without problems and, and relationships without issues. It's, uh, you know, life gets ugly and that's everybody. And I think anyone who's giving that impression that it, it's not, it's, I mean, Instagram looks like that, of course, but. I think they're lying. It's 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 not true. It's I want to be vulnerable. I want to be authentic, and I want to be me. And and if you if you're irritated or you don't like me, that's I'm, I'm cool with that too. You know. So it's just you take me as I am and accept me as I am, or or don't accept me at all. That's how I kind of feel about it. But but yeah, there's a lot of stuff in that book that I, I questioned writing, <laughs> I questioned putting it. Like, does this belong out there? I don't know. Yeah. Who cares? Life yeah. goes on. I got more yeah. things, more important things to worry about. <laughs> right. Yeah, as you say all that, like um, one of the best parts of of my life has been when I when I was able to just accept that life is just always going to be a little bit of a roller coaster. There's always going to yeah. be ups and downs. We're just looking like how do we ride that high as long as possible? And and once you can just get over that and realize that life is a lifelong journey of of ups and downs, 
at least for me, I've felt a lot more inner peace and and been able to deal with the the highs and the lows accordingly. Yeah, dude. And I'm going to share this for listeners because you just remind me of something. There's a book called, uh, I think it's The Space Between or The Space Within by Michael Neal. And he gives this analogy of life being this roller coaster. And it's just, it goes around in circles. It's You never get off this roller coaster. It goes up and down. And he, he wants you to picture this roller coaster is sailing down a river on a barge. But your whole life, your, your eyes are closed. You just know it goes up and it goes down. You don't know what's coming next because you're not looking forward. You just know it's going to go up and down. And this is your life. It goes up and down. And then after a while, you realize no matter what, it's going up and down no matter what you're doing. So there's not much you can do to, to, to control it. And then you open your eyes and then you realize that that roller coaster is going up and down, but this barge is just gently moving down that river and you start to appreciate the things that pass and, and, and you're looking at the scenery and stop so worrying so much about that up and down. You're more worried about what's passing on the side as it moves down the river and where's the river going to take us and who the heck knows. And, and I just love that metaphor for it's just that up and down is normal, but can we enjoy looking outside, looking at us going down this river of life? And just just take it as it is, and just love it for what it is. Yeah, that's great, dude. You are a you are a, a wealth of knowledge. It's a it's cool how young you are and how much you've experienced business wise and and personally. So I really appreciate you coming on and and being open and just being willing to to share your experiences. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks so much for having me on. It really uh, this was a good conversation. I enjoyed this. This was fun. Good. Well, we'll have to do it again and catch up in the in the future and see what new new ventures and where you're at then. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks so much. Cool. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Great having Dr. Paul Etchison on the podcast today. If you're interested, check out his book, Dental Practice Hero 2, the sequel. You can get it on Amazon. It's, uh, it's worth your time, like I said. So take care, everyone. We will talk to you next time. Sicker than your average.